Neither said they, where is the Lord? No, that's a good good verse. Verse 6, the Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. And I said, After she had done all these things, turn thou unto me. But she returned not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw it went for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery. I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. And it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. The idea of building, building uh, idolatrous altars. Verse 10, And yet for all this her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly saith the Lord. And the Lord said unto me, The backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than treacherous Judah. Look at verse 10 again. And yet for all this her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with all her whole heart, but feignedly saith the Lord. The title of my message is The Crime of the Century. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your love for us. I ask that you bless us now and help me to convey this thought in, a, in such a way that it would be a help and a blessing. You know, Lord, all of us have to look at this. and Maybe some um, are here and uh, they have this problem, and maybe others just need to set the reset button. Uh, we can get that way sometimes. We can get listful and we can get stagnant, and maybe we just need to hit the reset button this morning. And I hope that uh, whatever it is you're trying to do in the hearts of all of us, then we remember the words of Jeremiah, of, uh, of Isaiah, in chapter 25, Thou art our God, we exalt thee, we praise your name, because you have done many wonderful things, and your testimonies before are faithful and true. And we're thankful, Lord, for this, and I ask that you bless now and give me wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. The crime of the century. Now... Uh, you would recognize it. The crime of the century happened in your lifetime. Based on the scope of this crime and based on the number of people and the amount, it is now considered the crime of the century. On March 27, 2020, during the height of the pandemic, President Trump signed what is known now to be the greatest scam in all of history, the CARES Act, C-A-R-E-S, pumping more than $2 trillion into the Point was as a a, a, um, um, a ben- not a benefit a um, help me out it's a oh I forget anyway it was a stimulus yeah stimulus that's not the word but okay a stimulus we'll go with that and that was the idea so he pumps all this money into because there were people that because of the pandemic lost their jobs whatever it might be so it was to stimulate the economy the scale now understand it's two trillion dollars. I just throw that number out there, right? It's just trillion, um, but that's uh, a lot. <laughs> the uh, give me an idea. We did a calculation before. I think it was about four or five years ago. Uh, the uh, the worth of Elon Musk, I said, I think it was three hundred and eighty billion dollars, something like that. And so we did a calculation. Um, I happen to know that the the number of million <clears throat> is um, a million bottle caps will fill up a semi-trailer. It gives you an idea of what a million is. Okay, so you've got a 53-foot semi-trailer, a million to fill that up. To figure out how many, if each of those bottle caps represented a dollar, to figure out how many dollars he has, the trailers would extend from here to Austin, Texas. That's only $385 billion. 
this is three times that, two and a half times that amount. So it's there from here to Austin, Texas, back here, and then back again. <laughs> the reason why we figured it was Texas is because it was, it was actually Daniel and Grab and I did the calculation, so we did Texas. Anyway, I think Austin is a far away. Pretty sure it takes a while to get there. Uh, and if you can consider uh, tractor trailers back to back like that. We just throw the number trillion out there. That's a lot. That's how much, and it was two trillion. So from here to Austin, back again, there, and then again. You'd end up in Austin, I guess. That's a lot. A lot of money. The scale of the pandemic crisis was beyond anything we had ever seen, and so was the assistance. The U.S. government allowed anyone, here's the thing, the U.S. government allowed anyone to get unemployment insurance benefits. But the system was vulnerable because all that you needed was a name, date of birth, address, and social security number. If you can present those things, the money was given out. Well, a lot of people were helped, but then other people saw it as a chance to scam some money. In fact, the New York City Police Department reported that the gangs on the streets were no longer selling drugs, they were selling information. If all you needed was a name, address, date of birth, and a social security number, they were just selling valid information. Maybe my information, maybe yours. I think it's kind of amazing how that all of a sudden, within a short period of time, they had this, all this information ready to go. So it was the names, date, birth, and social security number, and all the basic personal identification. The money flowed then like an open spigot and saved the livelihoods of millions of people. While many breathed sighs of relief, others saw the crisis as an opportunity, a chance to steal millions. There were even some rappers that uh, wrote songs uh, uh, boasting of how they scammed all this money. Well, this came to the attention. By the, government's, by the government's own accounting, we potentially dished out, they said, $16.2 billion fraudulently. $267 million was sent to the, now here's how, $267 million was sent to the identities matching current federal prisoners, some on death row. Another nearly $229 billion to people living in multiple states, so they just had another address. We even sent out more than $139 million to dead people. California, no surprise there, alone accounts for $20 billion in pandemic unemployment insurance fraud. Some have estimated that close to a trillion dollars was lost. Nobody really knows. That's a massive, massive scam. There's thousands of stories, undoubtedly, people who unknowingly um, were burned, you might say, or were given uh, things fraudulently. One in particular stands out, Stephen and Gloria Clark. They were from Des Moines, Iowa. They were a family of four. They had two daughters, and uh, they were a normal uh, middle class, um, you know, from the Heartland family, and uh, they had rented their whole lives. So they wanted to buy a house, Okay, so they had saved up. He earned money working as a customer service rep. So these weren't people that, these were honest, trying to make an honest living. They watched their credit. They saved money. Everything seemed to go pretty well. And then all of a sudden, they got hit with an IRS bill, from, a bill from the Eternal Revenue Service, that said that they had received $30,000 in unemployment funds 
from the state of California. Incidentally, they had never lived in of California. They had never even visited that place. So now they have to prove they didn't get that money. So now the IRS claims that they owe more than $5,000 in taxes. <laughs> they didn't even receive a penny of it. That's just one example. So that's two years later, and they're still in this. The fraud isn't only people in this country. The Black Axe Gang in Nigeria is on the take with this. The Double Dragon crew out of China. There's electronic bank transfer thievery. That goes on. So since this immense scam, many more fraudulent ways of stealing money have come about. There's a Romanian gang that stole more than $38 million from Los Angeles' poorest citizens by engaging in EBT fraud. Well, what's, what's the thing that's so disgusting about this? It is the fact that people aren't who they say they are. They're frauds. Uh, when I was a kid, I think I was probably in fifth or sixth grade, I took boxing for a year. My dad put me in that, and so I trained, and we had some bouts and things. And uh, one day, he came home, and he lived upstairs, and I can see him now at the bottom of the stairs, and he yelled my name, and he said, grab your mouthpiece. Well, I knew what he was talking about, right, the mouthpiece that they put in there. Well, it turns out that he uh, was, there was a, a house of people living about four or five houses down, and they got into an argument, the, the, the boys did, with my dad. And they were saying some things, and so it got heated back and forth. And so my dad, realizing he couldn't take care of it, thought he'd throw me into the mix. <laughs> and so I was supposed to grab it. I didn't have anything to do with it. So I walked over there. Well, it turns out, it turns out the person that I was going to fight uh, was a notorious tough guy in the neighborhood. His name was Victor Ordonez. That was his name. <laughs> And he was the town tough guy. So I thought, great, of all the people, this is the one I get. So I, I thought, well, I guess here it comes, but here we go. So I, I started circling away from his strong hand and doing all these things and working. And I thought, okay, it's got to come here pretty soon. And he just kind of stood there, taunting me a little bit, but he didn't do anything. So I thought, well, better grab the bull by the horns here. So I gave him, I, I faked, I remember I faked high and jabbed him in the stomach. He doubled over a little bit. He didn't expect that. And he just stood there. He didn't do anything. I realized that Victor Ordonez was not who he said he was. He was supposed to be this notorious tough guy. He didn't do anything. Well, what's the thing about that? We don't like frauds, do we? We don't like people that aren't who they say they are. We don't like people that come across that way because we make decisions and, and that thing is regarding people and when it's not who they say they are, then we feel like fools, don't we? Fraud. It's not a good thing. It's horrible. The crime of the century. Well, these people claim to be somebody they're not. So I got to thinking and looking, reading this passage and I thought to myself, well, what does the Lord think about fraudulent things? Verse 10, what does he say there again? And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly, saith the Lord. Well, I mean, come on. At least if somebody is doing something for the Lord, at least it's not, that can't be bad. Maybe they're, maybe they're not all that they say they are, but hey, at least they're doing something. So I wonder what the Lord thinks about that. If you go to chapter 4 and verse um, 3, he says at the end there, and so not among thorns. Now think about that imagery with me, if you will. 
If you sow, and I don't know if you know a lot about planting and sowing, I know I'm the world, I am the, I claim currently, that I am the world's worst gardener. The worst. My thumbs are the furthest thing from green that there are. I've tried, I've tried and tried, and I, tr- I grew watermelons one time, and the biggest one I got was about that big, and it, taste, <laughs> it tasted horrible. So I can't, I don't know. I tried, I fertilized all the rest of it, it just didn't work for me. But I do know this that before you throw the seed out there, you have to prepare the ground. And it would be foolish to sow and to throw out seed among thorns. What's going to happen? You're not going to get the growth, you think. They may be good seed. They may be seed that's genetically enhanced, and you get this massive amount of bushels per acre. But it's not going to work if you go among thorns, is it? It's not going to work. It's pointless, isn't it? This is the way the Lord sees the, the nation of Judah at this point. He says... In verse four, chapter 4, verse 1, If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me, and if thou wilt put away thine abominations. What abominations? Well, these are the things that I talked about in uh, chapter 3 here. The uh, playing the harlot and every high mountain and all of these things are the things that the Lord says, and he calls them abominations. Okay, now, he's addressing Israel here, but he also addresses Judah, and that's the one I want to focus on. So Israel, we know um, that this was that they, that was a nation that had many kings did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Some did that which were right. We know that, and they, it says they followed the sins of Jeroboam, king of Israel. So what was this sin? It was idolatry, wasn't it? He calls it being a harlot. He calls it spiritual, um, you know, fornication. Even uses this imagery to explain this to us. And so Israel, clearly, we can see, well, they, they didn't do very well. But this was the days of King Josiah. And you might remember that there was a revival in his days. In fact, he, he uh, tried to get the nation of Judah to turn back towards the Lord. He tried, and he led an example, and he decreed some things, and he reenacted uh, the Passover and all of this. But still yet, at the end of all of that, the Lord did not stay his hand of judgment. They were still going to be captive in Babylon, even though all of that happened. So Josiah, blessed his heart, he did what he could. But the people followed. But what was the problem is they didn't do it out of a real heart. They, did it, they were fakes. They were frauds. And this day it was the crime of the century. But what does the Lord think about it? After all, well, at, least they're doing, at least they did something. Don't you suppose that... Uh, doing the Passover again and performing those things is better than not doing it at all? Well, what does the Lord think about it? Well, he calls it these abominations, he says in chapter 4, verse 1. What other things are abominations in the Bible? Well, lots of things. And I'm trying to build this case for you. Okay? So if it's an abomination, it's like other things that are abominable. By the way, the the word abomination has the idea of something that is filthy, disgusting. I like this word, abhorrent. I like this word too, repugnant. I like the word repulsive, disgusting, something that makes you wretch, something that makes you uh, gag and be sick to your stomach. I don't know what it is in your mind, but this is what an abomination is, what the word means. In Leviticus 18, the Bible says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. So what does the Lord say? There is an abomination. That's a question. Sodomy. Okay, well, yeah, of course, that's disgusting. It is disgusting. I mean, whether I think it's disgusting or not really doesn't matter. The Lord thinks it is. He says it. I happen to agree with the Lord completely, but that doesn't matter what I think. 
Deuteronomy 22.5 says, The woman shall not wear that which pertains unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination, not upholding, not upholding gender distinction. God says that's an abomination. Thankfully, all of you are very good representations of your gender. Praise the Lord. You ladies look like ladies and so forth. That's a really good thing. There's no question. You ever, been to, you ever meet somebody and you're confused? You're thinking, I, and it's confusion. What uh, pronoun do I use here? Also, crooked dealings. The Bible says in Proverbs 11:1, 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just way to say it's like when you deal falsely, the idea of a false balance, you're not completely straight in your dealings. That's an abomination. Lying. Pretty clear. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Lying is an abomination to him. It disgusts him. God's thoughts are not our thoughts, are they? I always think, all right, lying's bad. Okay, I get it. But it doesn't repulse me. It does him. Wicked thoughts. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. Pride. Everyone that is pride in heart is an abomination. It's hard. I don't have to interpret this for you, do I? It's real straightforward. Idolatry. Cursed be the man that maketh any grain or molten image, an abomination to the Lord. So, the Lord calls the actions of Judah here an abomination. He considers it to be so. In verse 11 of chapter 3, again, And the Lord said unto me, That backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than treacherous Judah. All that they were doing was an abomination. But in verse 11, although they were both doing these things that were abominable, Verse 11 seems to indicate that what Judah was doing is worse than what Israel was doing. Let me read it again. The Lord said unto me, The backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than treacherous Judah. So my big question is why? Why if they're both doing these things that are an abomination? Why in the eyes of the Lord was Judah more abominable, you might say, or justified herself not so much? Well, it's because they were fakes. That's why. Verse 10 tells us, but feignedly. They weren't who they said they were. So you and I consider fraudulent things pretty bad. I don't know if it's necessarily disgusting or abhorrent to me, but to God it is. Even worse, evidently, than Israel's actions that are abominable and their idolatry and their spiritual harlotry. Even worse than that, evidently. Being a fraud, being a fake, not being who you say and what you look like you are, is to the Lord a terrible thing. So I'm going to try to um, <clears throat> bring this home for you if I could. What does the Bible say about this? Because we, we have to understand. Well, you remember the Lord when he was teaching in his parables, he gave you the parable of the wheat and the tares. You remember that? I think you understand. The tares look like the wheat. They look just like them. But they weren't. They weren't who they said they were. And so what does the Lord say? Leave them alone. In the day, they'll be judged. So that's something that needs to be rooted out, doesn't it? Something needs to be taken out of there. What about Judas? Was Judas a fraud? Judas Iscariot? He was, wasn't he? Every time in the Bible you see the list of, uh, of apostles, he's always last. And then it says, who betrayed the Lord. That's his infamy. He, ultimately, he was a fake. He wasn't who he said he was. Um, if, we, if we look at uh, Isaiah chapter 1, just shoot over there real quick. You know, turn over there. Isaiah 1, 
verse 8. I'll just begin reading. You can find in the daughter of Zion is a uh, uh, Zion is left as a cottage in the vineyard and as a lodge in the garden of cucumbers as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Hear the words of the Lord. <clears throat> ye rulers of Sodom, give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? So they're giving these sacrifices. They're going through the religious rituals. He says, I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of the bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear your hands are full of blood. What was the problem here? They were going through religious ritual, but they weren't real. It wasn't real. They were fake. Uh, the, uh, what about the different rewards for service in 1 Corinthians chapter 3? Remember? They, you got wood, hay, and stubble, and you have gold, silver, and precious stones. What was the difference? They're all works. All of them are works that somebody does for the Lord upon the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. They're all works. Some of them are burnt and some are not. What, what makes the difference? It's how they built upon. They were being fraudulent. They weren't being real. They weren't doing it with the right, right kind of spirit and the right heart. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing to know one day that all the work you've done for the Lord in, in, in the church and all these things came to nothing? This is pretty serious. This is your, this is your the weight of eternity is dependent here. What about the church of Laodicea? What does the Lord say about them? You're not cold or hot. You are lukewarm, therefore I spew you out of my mouth. You see the, the imagery there of being fraudulent. It's being fake. So I've tried to establish this through the scriptures. I've tried to, I've tried to get you to see that, how, what the Lord says about it, what he thinks about it. Okay, so I don't know. Some of you here maybe aren't even Christians. That's a, we know what happens there. That's a high-scale fraud. I mean, it's one thing to lose trillions of dollars, another thing to lose your soul in eternity in hell, burning forever, because you were fake, because you persisted in not being real. Maybe some are. But you've just gotten to the point where it's been common, mundane. You're listful about the things of the Lord. In class, you find it very difficult to stay awake. You know, forgive me, but there are a lot of you like that. So maybe it's gotten to that point. I suppose what I'm saying is we have to be real. So what are the results of feigned Christianity? Let's go back to Jeremiah 3 if you're, not, if you're not there. What are the results? Number one, the first result, and here again I'm trying to establish this for you, and then once we look at the results and we see the Lord's mind on that, I'm going to help us with how to take care of it. So number one <clears throat> is this word treacherous. So in chapter 3, verse 7, it says there, And I said after she had done all these things, thou... Turn thou unto me, but she returned not, and her treacherous sister Judah. What does the word treachery mean? I don't know if you use that. We use it, I guess. But what does it mean? What is the true meaning of that? It has the idea of being deceptive. That's what it is. That's treachery, is deception. In a very real way, it goes along, of course, with being uh, uh, serving the Lord faintedly and not being real. 
It's uh, somebody that would it even is applied in, in uh, among in, in Hebrew as a covenant breaker, somebody that breaks a covenant. Okay, so some so there's a deal, all right, and then you break that deal. You're fraudulent. You can imagine making a deal with somebody in a business terms, and you shake hands, but then you don't keep your end of the bargain. That's fraudulent, isn't it? This is what the word treachery means. <clears throat> Let me remind you, in the days of Josiah, there was a huge revival. Supposedly, he enacted laws and things, but it didn't change the heart of people. This is what God sees. Many jumped on board, but they were only playing. They were only playing religion. They were. And I think for some of you, the danger is that you've always known this. And it's just easy to go along with the flow. When I became a Christian, immediately I had to go against the flow. I had to. Because every, everybody around me remained the same. God had changed me. And so now, immediately, right away, and it happened right away. Right away. I'm going down Sunday morning, down the steps, uh, and my parents are there watching television Sunday morning. I'm hiding my Bible under my arm and going right out the door. Well, they knew where I was going. I can remember standing at the top of the steps there, and knowing I had to, to witness to them, and I did not, because I knew I was going to go, and it did not go well. And so uh, I can remember my brother cursing me for all I was worth. So I didn't, really, I didn't expect that. But you understand that if, if it wasn't real to me, in those, at those times, you, you're not going to stick with it. And it's easy to go with the flow. And it's difficult to figure out whether you're really real in all of that. You could be treacherous. So remember the wheats and the tares there. It's got to be rooted up. We're going to get to that a little bit later. I can remember there's a man came here not too long ago, a few years back, out of the uh, RU ministry. And he was, um, he seemed like he was very sincere. And uh, he, would, he would even be eating lunch with us there. And I can remember one time when I walked in, he would say something along the effects of, ah, Dr. Schreiber, this man right here, he, he is a man of God. And I kept thinking to myself, you don't even know me. Well, it turns out he was a fake. Turns out he ended up robbing and stealing some things. Not who they say they are. It's pretty bad, isn't it? When we don't pay, by the way, what we say we're going to pay, we're fake. We're frauds. So that's one thing. We are treacherous people. What's another result of feign, feign, being feign or fake is that the Lord doesn't receive all that's due him. What is due him by virtue of our salvation? Our whole heart. Look at verse 10. And yet for all this her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly. So the Lord doesn't get, because we're fake sometimes, the Lord doesn't get what he deserves. And that's all of our heart. All of it. You say, well, I don't know. And I know this is one of those sermons, and I get it. There, You think to yourself, well, this could always be said. I could always be more real. But maybe the Lord would touch on something specific, and not just in general. Something specific. Yes, you're, you're, you haven't turned to me with your whole heart right there. Something specific. I don't know. So when we say, it used to be a big uh, term, I don't know, but we used to call it sold out Christianity. Well, this is what we're talking about. Everything I have is the Lord's. There's no part of me which I wouldn't be willing to give to him. Now, I have to be careful about that. As we all are. But maybe it's bitterness. Maybe you're hanging on to that. There's something you're bitter about and you're hanging on to it. Okay, and so because of that, your, your whole heart is not given to the Lord. 
a bitter person in church, in my estimation, is fraudulent. It's the crime of the century. What about anger? Get angry with somebody. I have had to go to somebody humbly and ask for forgiveness because I let my anger get the best of me. You're angry with somebody. You're angry, pardon me, with somebody. You resent somebody. You're jealous. What about jealousy? I don't like her because she's pretty. I don't like him because he's athletic. I don't like uh, the way that they flaunt the fact that they're so much better. I don't like this thing. The jealousy comes in. That's a very real thing. You can laugh at it if we want to, but it's a real, real thing. And it causes the, us, us to be not give the Lord all of our heart. So like it says here, it's um, being fake. You understand what we're talking about? Maybe it's a lack of character. That's a hard thing to get over. And this is why um, the Christian life is really a life of character. That's why we try to push it so much. Because without character, you can't be a good Christian. So I like, I like how uh, Abraham, I like, when I think of character, when I think of protecting things that are the Lord's, when I think about being real, part of what I think about is Abraham in Genesis, I think it's Genesis 15, where he, he, he put two altars and he divided the sacrifice they missed and he stuck them on the altars. And there it says that when the birds came, he shooed them away. Now he was there up most of the night before the Lord finally did accept the sacrifice. But he put those things, and he, those things were for the Lord. It wasn't for a bird to come and eat. It wasn't for a bird to have, you know, whatever. This was for the Lord. And I know it's a simple thought, but that's what our life really is. Jesus says it this way, No man putting, having, putting his hand, having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's treachery, isn't it? It's being fake. It's not being real. Well, what's the third thing, then, that is a result of, uh, of being treacherous, is that God's lessons are not applied. The lessons that the Lord has for us to better us, because of our fakeness, we don't learn those lessons. And you have to, be, you have to learn them over and over and over and over again. You never get to that point. Look at verse 8 here, chapter 3, verse 8. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce... Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. So Judah, instead of learning from the lesson that God was showing them of how he treated Israel for the same thing, instead of looking at what the Lord did with Israel and say to themselves, well, I don't want that. I don't want that. I'm going to stop this right now. I'm going to make sure that I'm real in this thing. Instead, because they were fake. That's why. And you never learn your lessons. I can remember... I was preaching a chapel one time. It wasn't here. This was years, years ago. And uh, our youth group there at that church were going to come to the preaching conference here, actually. And so uh, it was part of a youth um, activity, okay? So we were going to drive here and bring the young people and all that. Well, and so I'm preaching chapel. And I was preaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I was preaching on being carnal. And so I had no idea. I thought everybody that was, that was preaching, it was like this, okay, small, but it was like this. I thought everybody that I was preaching to was going to the preaching conference, but they, some were not. And they were just going to take the week off. So I talked about how Paul told, tells, I remember, Paul tells the church of Corinth, I fed you with uh, milk and not with me because you weren't able to bear it. So I said, one of the marks of a carnal person, they can't stand the preaching of the word of God. And that's true. What I didn't know is they thought I was preaching right at them. I had no, as God, I had no idea. I thought they were going. I didn't think it was a problem. In my mind, I was preaching the passage that was the furthest thing from my mind. 
but they took it personally, told their parents, their parents defended them, and now it got to be a big deal. I hate to tell you that, uh, that uh, those parents also wanted to defend their uh, son's right to date without being married. The last time I can remember seeing them, the girl was pregnant with her baby and they hadn't been married yet. Their house was burnt down two times. And you, you feel horrible about them. But they were fake, weren't they? They weren't real. They didn't believe it. And if, you're, if we're not going to trust in, 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 the, uh, in, in the preaching of God's word and the truth of it, then we're just fake. What are we sitting here for? And then, um, so let me, I don't have much time, so let me just cover uh, what's the cure then. So I've tried to establish, well, this is what, it's the crime of the century, being fake. It's the crime of the century. We're, we're robbing from the Lord. We're not being true to him. So what's the cure? It's not, it's not easy. I'm going to use uh, Jeremiah chapter 4. So if you're there in Jeremiah again, chapter 4, very sim- simple three things. Thing number one, again, I don't mean that in a Dr. Seuss sort of way. In verse 3 it says, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. The ground must be broken up. This fallow ground is ground that is, we have to understand what fallow ground is. It's ground that used to be used to grow things, but it's been left now. So it's not, it wasn't plowed up again. It wasn't used, and it was just sitting there. What happens? Weeds grow in there and all the rest. You've probably seen that before. You can tell it used to be farmland, but then they haven't farmed it. That's what fallow ground is. It needs to be worked. It needs to be dug up. It needs to be uh, cultivated. But it's just sitting there. So what does the Lord say to Judah? Give me one more chance. Remember, the captivity, Babylonian captivity is about to happen. Break up your fallow ground. He's telling us, fainted people, fake, sometimes we're just not completely real. Maybe there's some kind of sin, sentiment, jealousy, bitterness, something that you have against somebody, and you're sitting here like everything is great, but you're fake. You're going to have to break up that ground. You're going to have to recultivate. There's been something in your life that's been sitting follow for a long, long, long time, and you've got to churn that up. Okay, you've got to let the Lord work on you. You have, to, you have to listen to the preaching, be convicted about these things, and let the Lord break this up. And then secondly, the heart must be uncovered. Look at verse 4. Circumcise therefore to the Lord, uh, and take away the, uh, the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest by my fury come forth like fire. We have to open up our heart to let the Lord reveal to us what those things are. Because the truth of the matter is we, we just tend to justify the way that we feel, especially when it comes to bitterness and resentment. We tend to justify it. And so we don't see how bad it really is. The Lord has to uncover those things. That's a hard thing. But as it were, take the veil over your heart. Take it away and say, Lord, search me, like David said. Is there anything in there? Give him access to your heart. Leave nothing unturned. And then he'll show you things, and then you can take care of it. The good thing is you don't have to stay that way. And then lastly... Uh, you have to be very firm in your mind that sometimes judgment is the only cure. If, if we're going to remain this way, now Lord's merciful, who knows how long it will go on, but the end of it ultimately is judgment. Look at verse 5. Declare ye in Judah and publish in Jerusalem and say, Blow ye the trumpet in the land, cry, cry gather together, and say, Assemble yourselves and let us go into the defense city. Set up the standard towards Zion, retire, stay not, for I will bring evil from the north and a great destruction. 
But the line has come up from his thicket, and the destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way, has gone forth from his place to make thy land desolate, and thy city shall be laid waste without an inhabitant. There's lots of suffering at the hands of those who were pretending to be somebody they were not. The work of the Lord suffers a great deal as a result for those who are just playing around. And so they're doing the work of the Lord. They're sowing one thorn, so they're doing it feignedly. Um, you remember what the, I'll close with this, that the Lord, when he talked about the fig tree, remember they came to a fig tree and they didn't bring fruit. fruit. So they said, let's cut it down. Why cumber it to the ground? And what did he say? Well, let's, let's cultivate a little more. I think he says, let's, let's fertilize it, dung it, and let's do these things, and let's see. And then, so how long is the Lord going to do that before judgment comes? We don't know. But I think it's a, a very clear warning to all of us. We have to be careful in this area and open our hearts to this truth. May the Lord bless you then as you work through this. Let's pray. You stand please at your feet, your heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm going to make a simple prayer. Whatever the Lord would have you to do, um, be faithful in this area. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for us.